I'm Kay Daniels. Dr. Joseph Burgo is a clinical psychologist and marriage and family therapist who has 30 years of experience, so he's heard a lot and seen more. This wealth of experience has great value for all of us when he places it in his book, The Newest, and our focus this morning being The Narcissist You Know. This is fascinating, and it also brings us important awareness about ourselves, about those in our inner circle, our outer circle, and just good insights about people in general. So let's meet Dr. Burgo and learn more. Dr. Joseph Burgo, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I am so looking forward to learning more and to sharing this information with all our listeners because this whole topic of narcissism is something that I think feels as though it permeates so much of our lives, more so now than perhaps ever before. Is that correct? It is. It seems like you can't pick up the newspaper or turn on the news without hearing that word, narcissist, applied to somebody. And so the fact of the matter with your book, The Narcissist You Know, what I find interesting is that in the word narcissist, the first I in it is uh, highlighted in yellow or colored yellow. Is it that we need to find that's in each of us? Do all of us have a little bit of that in us? Yes, I think so. I mean, one of the messages of the book is that narcissism occurs along a spectrum of possibilities. And at one end, we have healthy self-esteem. And at the other, we have narcissistic personality disorder. So I think that feeling good about yourself, feeling that you have personal worth, that you have confidence in your abilities, that's necessary to lead a successful life. It's when it veers towards the other end, where it's, it's not just about feeling good about yourself, but it's about feeling better than other people or humiliating and triumphing over people. That's where it becomes pathological. And I think when we hear those words, we can think of circumstances in life uh, where that's perhaps happened to us or we observe that happening. One of the key areas, I think, is watching kids' sports and seeing how some parents act in those stands, watching their kids out on the fields. That seems to be one area where it manifests itself. It does. And there's a chapter on the narcissistic parent in the book and I think most people who have school-age kids will recognize that parent, the one who's on the sidelines yelling at the, the ref when a call goes the wrong way or yelling at his kid because he's not doing well enough. I mean, we do see these parents who compete through their children. That's the obvious one. And then there's, there's ways where it's not so obvious, like parents who talk about their children in idealized ways and you come away feeling a little bit bad about yourself, like maybe doubting yourself as a parent, like maybe your kid's a loser. It can be very subtle the way they you know, elevate their own children above yours. The other type of narcissistic parent I talk about in the book, and I think this is probably less familiar to your listeners, but it, it's the parent who makes him or herself into a winner by triumphing over their own child, turning their child into a loser, humiliating the child, criticizing the child. Um, it's a very, very toxic situation. I, you know, I have many clients in my practice who have come from that kind of background. It's hard for most people to believe that a, that a parent could use a child in that way, but you know, trust me, it's not all that uncommon. And isn't that just so 
painful to consider that that's the case. It's part of a cycle, though, isn't it? It is.、Um, I like to say in my book that narcissism begets narcissism.、Um, you know, if one possible response to growing up in a family like that, where you were treated like、um, you were a loser, like you were a worthless piece of goods. Is to then grow up and treat your own children that way.、Um, that's not an uncommon scenario either. It does get passed down through the generations. And perhaps there just hasn't been sufficient awareness about this whole area. So now we have this opportunity, if that awareness hasn't existed, to say, "Let's take a look at this. This is a condition. This is what goes on." There, this is a path to how we might be able to correct it in our lives, the lives of those around us. I think so, and I think that that begins by recognizing the ways in which we're all a little bit narcissistic.、Uh, I mean, one of the messages of my book is that understanding the narcissism that's pervasive in our culture and even the extreme forms of narcissism is by understanding ourselves first,、um, the ways that we. Prop up our own self-esteem in ways that aren't all that dissimilar from the tactics used by extreme narcissists. It's just we do it occasionally. For them, it's built into their personality as an ongoing way of dealing with the world. And in part two, with the narcissist, you know, the book is about helping us if we. Are in an area of kind of maybe being on the more balanced side,、uh, without being vain about that, because then that gets into some narcissism, doesn't it? It、uh, does. <laughs> but it helps us to gain an understanding of how to live with or work with,、uh, just be around people who maybe are edging to that more extreme narcissism. You know, I do try in the book to help readers develop. At least some understanding and hopefully some compassion for let, what lies behind all of these frequently obnoxious and offensive behaviors. It's, it requires an active imagination because the extreme narcissist is doing everything possible to hide his feelings of defect or damage inside.、Um, he doesn't want anybody to see that, so you kind of have to use your imagination to figure out what's behind. His grandiosity, and so, is there a, a simple way for us to approach that?、Uh, are we going to be, you know, kind of more saintly in order to do that? What What is it that we can do? Oh, sometimes it does feel like you have to be superhuman to manage these people, and and for this reason, I really what I, the most consistent piece of advice. I offer to readers is that if possible, get as far away as you can,、um, because it's it's often a lose lose proposition. But I think if you can't avoid dealing with them, there there are guidelines, and I think the most useful tool is understanding that with extreme narcissists, the world is divided up into winners and losers. They they feel this constant need to demonstrate their winner status, and they often do so by triumphing over and humiliating other people, those losers, and understanding the ways they make you feel 
will give you some insight into the way that they actually feel underneath it all. I mean, the concept of projection is useful here. The, the extreme narcissist offloads or gets rid of feelings of unworthiness, shame, defect into you, into the loser, um, and makes you feel them so they don't have to. Now, in this situation of with parents and seeing the way parents might treat their their child out there on the sports field, uh, is there a way to deal with that parent who is shaming their child, or do you put the distance? You try to be as far away from them as possible. As much as you might want to go in there and save that kid, you know, you're you're just setting yourself up as a target. If you do that, I think it, 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 the one exception I would make is if your own kid is implicated, if your own kid is at risk of being hurt, then I think you do have to step in and protect your child. But to intervene between a parent and his or her child, you're asking for trouble. Sure. Uh, that is certainly logical. In a different arena, we might encounter this in our workplace. And if it's a coworker, that is probably an area where we have a little more control, hopefully, and can put some distance. Is that so? You can put some distance, but sometimes, you know, you, if, if you've become a target um, with a vindictive narcissist, um, then, you know, getting distance really won't work, and your approach has to be legalistic. You know, many extreme narcissists are very good at disguising their behavior from higher-ups, people who are in a position to evaluate them, and they will save it all for you. Um, in that case, I, I find that, you know, it often depends on having evidence, because it might come down to your word versus his or hers. So you have to um, protect your work product, preserve all emails, especially toxic ones or threatening texts. If you can get eyewitnesses at work who have seen this behavior, um, that's really useful. You need to report it to human resources, but you know, make sure you've got the evidence because you, you don't want it to come down simply to his word against yours. And this kind of behavior, that activity, really is in that whole realm of bullying, isn't it? It is. And, um, you know, that's kind of where the, the book starts off with the, the bullying narcissist, because I find it such a, um, a clear um, example of the winner-loser dynamic that goes on in extreme narcissism. You, you know, you see this happening in, in middle school at first, where you know, everybody's insecure about their social status. Everybody wants to be popular. The bullying narcissist gets social capital by identifying a victim and then persecuting her, making her the loser, loser so that you can be a winner. And, you know, other people um, are attracted to your power. They might also be afraid of you because they don't want to become a target, so they'll line up on your team. So, you know, the obvious winner-loser dynamic in bullying narcissism is really clear. It shows up more subtly in, in other kinds of narcissism. So here are some key, key things that all of us can either uh, see happening around us or perhaps have been involved in it, been on the receiving end of it, 
And in The Narcissist You Know, you really are outlining, Dr. Burgo, all of this so that we can get a better sense of what goes on, what it might look like. You give us great examples and situations, so we really learn a lot. I hope so. And, you know, I also... I also wanted it to be, in its way, an entertaining book. I mean, it is full of client stories and composite profiles of people who have written to me on my website and examples pulled from the public sphere. So, you know, it's also meant to be, you know, uh, an easy read, not a technical read. Exactly. And I think that part of it, by sharing the stories, and there are certainly personalities that we hear about, we see, uh, you know, in entertainment, just in the media in general, that uh, you give us some deeper insights. I I think in terms of, of how, you know, the whole tragic situation around Michael Jackson, you give us more insights there, and we have a, a greater understanding of narcissism. You know, it, it's it's really for me when I was writing the book and thinking about narcissism, it was the connection to addiction that be, that was the, came as the biggest surprise. You know, in in the twelve step programs in AA, they have long recognized that that an addict's hidden grandiosity is like the biggest problem in in overcoming an addiction. I didn't really realize that because I wasn't. I wasn't up on the 12-step programs, but once I started researching them, it, it became really clear to me, and I could see it in my own clients, and I saw it in reading you know, about Michael Jackson extensively. This, uh, it, it makes sense when you think about it. You know, we all, most of us know, who have, have, let's just say, had an alcoholic drink or tried some kind of minor drug, there is a kind of elation that comes with it you know feeling high and they talk about you know when people have had too much to drink they become bulletproof there is this feeling that you're on top of the world and the the extreme narcissist who is struggling with shame and the sense of inner defect they they get addicted to that feeling of the antidote to their shame so this is the kind of information that is very interesting, I think, to probably most, if not all of us. And we're able to really learn a lot. And some of it then is going to certainly make us more informed about ourselves, because as you said, all of us have some of that within us. But it really makes us more conscious of the world and the relationships we have with people in our life. I, you know, I hope so. You know, one of the one of the examples that that I give is about myself, hoping that other people will recognize themselves in the anecdote. And it was, it's just, it was a time where I was very much under stress. I was very much preoccupied with things that were going on in my life, including some worries about my children. And I behaved towards someone I care very deeply about in a kind of a self-absorbed way in which it was all about me. And I didn't really inquire about her or take any interest in her. I think most of us become self-absorbed and insensitive when we're under a lot of emotional pressure. Um, and if you, can, if you can extrapolate that to someone who's always under emotional pressure, who's constantly feeling the need to defend a sense of self and can never you know, back down, then you can understand why they're not very empathic. 
and why it always seems to be about them. Now, two things go on. You have a person who is there for basically a short term as you using your own life, you know, get absorbed in situations with, say, your kids for a while. But, you know, a person can understand that. You can communicate about that. But then there is the other situation where maybe that's constantly the case. That person is always self-absorbed. Their life is more important. There is a situation where we're probably going to want to say, I need to distance myself. This is, I'm not going to be able to change that person. That is the way they are. Right. And, and that is one of the takeaways from the book, is that by and large, they don't change. Um, and when you can get distance, that's the best strategy. Uh, I like to think about extreme narcissists as, as like alcoholics. They have to hit bottom before they're going to change. Um, they have to really ruin their lives because of the, the ways they treat other people before they can come to terms with the fact that they've got a problem and most of the time they don't they don't they don't get there and that's the thing is that they have to reach that awareness and when you get to on the spectrum to the extreme narcissist you're saying they never realize that they ever have an issue no i mean they they typically rely on on blame to avoid recognizing their own difficulties. If you ever criticize them, you know, they typically become indignant that you criticize them. They will turn it around and find some way to make it your fault, and they will become superior and contemptuous, contemptuous of you as a way to invalidate your criticism. Now, I take, take some time in the book to, to show how most of us, certainly, that includes me, have you have done those things in, in a fight with somebody who has criticized us? I know in, in relationship fights, I have sometimes become a little bit huffy that somebody dared to criticize me. I've found a way to turn it around um, and blame the other person, and I might have even become a little superior and contemptuous. I think these are normal reactions to criticism. Nobody takes criticism well. The difference between you and me and an extreme narcissist is that with time, when we cool off, when we get over the hurt of being criticized, we might say, well, you know, there's really some truth to that, and we might even apologize. We'll find a way to take it in. So these, this indignation, blame, and contempt are kind of temporary strategies to protect ourselves from a narcissistic injury. With extreme narcissists, these are built into their character as ongoing, nonstop, and relentless defenses against narcissistic injury, and, and they never back down. And so this should be at least somewhat apparent, uh, thinking in terms of relationships, romantic connections, to be aware of that kind of in the early stages to know that and not get so involved that uh, you get really beaten up, you're bullied by this, and, and it's just a no-win situation. It, it is. The problem I've seen in romantic relationships is that there's, there's one type of narcissist uh, that I refer to as the seductive narcissist who doesn't show his colors right away. His strategy, rather than making you feel like a loser, 
is instead to make you feel like a winner, to build you up, to make you feel like you're beautiful and interesting, to idealize you, really, in the hopes that you will do the same for him. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a mutual admiration society that lasts just as long as your uncritical admiration does. Once you get some insight and you start asking questions or criticizing him, he can turn on you on a dime and you go from pedestal to trash heap, you know, in the blink of an eye. And then, you know, it's very confusing because you're left wondering, well, what happened to this great romance that we were having? And, and you might want to get it back. I mean, there's a number of people I've known and written about who, who keep trying to recapture that feeling of, of idealized romantic love. And sometimes, you know, if the extreme narcissist doesn't want to get rid of you completely, he might, after a while, back down and become profusely apologetic and do everything he can to woo you, win you back, and promise it'll never happen again. And then this cycle starts in where it's, you know, idealization followed by devaluation, followed by apology, followed by the reinstitution of romantic idealization. And it's very hard to get out of. But, you know, once you see it in place, you need to get out quick. Yes. And it may feel difficult, but it's really important, and that's where I feel the narcissist you know this book really gives us important insights for our own illumination, but also self-preservation. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are strategies, you know, like how to manage someone's ego, how to set limits so that you don't get abused. It's not simply, it's not as simple as get away when, when, whenever you can. There are times where you can't avoid remaining in relationships to a, an extreme narcissist. For instance, if it's someone in your family or part of your social world that you can't avoid, there, there, are, there is advice in the book for how to cope with them. So again, really an important tool, the narcissist you know in that way. Do you feel, Dr. Burgo, that social media, where we've come to today, really has played more of a role in uh, creating the, more of a problem here? I, I think there are three factors, and, and social media is one of them. I think it, it, the, the transition into this age of narcissism began really with the end of the greatest generation that Tom Brokaw wrote about, and then the rise of the boomers, where ideas about service and self-sacrifice, humility, gave way to notions of self-fulfillment and authenticity. So being humble kind of went out of style. And then we have this culture where celebrities are worshipped, where celebrity is seen as the highest good in our culture. You're probably familiar with that study of the middle school students that came out about 10 years ago that showed more people would prefer to be the personal assistant to a celebrity rather than to be the president of Harvard. You know, right. being a celebrity or being close to celebrity is what everybody wants. Then you had the rise of social media, which gave everybody the platform on which they could be a celebrity. They could promote themselves to the world. So I think you put all of those things together and we have the present culture of narcissism in which we live. So that's also an important awareness for us. I don't know how that actually uh, 
is then managed. Uh, awareness certainly is important in how we do things, but then perhaps this is uh, permeating our society so much that there isn't really a desire to make any change. There is and there isn't. People will will give lip service to the idea that we live in too narcissistic a culture and they would like something different and then they'll reach for People magazine. You know, it's... I think that we we really have to learn how to value other things beyond celebrity. Um, there's been a lot of um, emphasis lately in the media about developing empathy, and I do think that empathy is, is an antidote to narcissism. How you develop empathy in your children is, uh, is a complicated matter, um, but I think it's really important. I think modeling humility for your children um, teaching them values of humility and respect for other people, not simply wanting your own kids to be winners and doing everything you can to encourage them to be winners. I think all of this will help. So important, certainly for life right now and feeling a sense of fulfillment rather than always striving for something and, and feeling less than. Yeah. There's a lot to be said for, you know, accepting one's limitations, for recognizing what one is good at, but not feeling you have to be the very best, for leaving room for other people to be good at things and admiring them too. It's, you know, it's, there's so much emphasis on being the best and being a winner in our culture. You know, all of the reality TV series that are focused on, you know, winning one competition or another. And, and then, you know, the people who don't win are dispatched from the show with in kind of humiliating ways. I mean, it just it's pervasive and to me kind of repulsive. Yes, absolutely. And yet we seem to perhaps be in the minority since that type of entertainment keeps proliferating. It does. And, you know, it's, I suppose it isn't really a surprise to me given the culture we live in. But, you know, I have occasionally turned on one of those shows and I just cringe with the way they get rid of a contestant. It's just so painful to watch. And I do find it troubling that so many millions of people are willing to put up with it and obviously enjoy it in some way. And cheer it on, actually, I think, in some cases. Yes. We identify with the winners. Maybe that's it. Which, again, (laughs) I suppose is good. But then the word empathy comes back again, where it's important to understand that there is certainly a matter of perspective, but that we also need to have degrees, I guess, of thinking how we've won and not shame the person who's the loser. It's just a few points lower or something, right? It is, and you know this winner loser dynamic and the the difference between someone who wins graciously and someone who triumphs over the losers and humiliates them, you know you do see it in the world of professional sports. There are you know sore winners who bloat, and then there are sore losers who really you know cannot bear the idea that they have lost that they take you know, a loss in competition as like some personal comment upon their worth and will then become abusive to the referees, to, you know, their other competitors. It can get pretty ugly. And so there's so much for us to be aware of, to learn and to consider how the world can be balanced and how to make our way and how to be in it. I think that that's certainly an important message from the narcissist you know. 
It is, and you know, as I said, it, I do think that the best way to cope with the extreme narcissist and to live in this narcissistic world is to come to terms with the ways that we are all narcissistic, both in healthy ways and sometimes in not-so-healthy ways. I don't like to sound like a scold, but that's a big message of the book. And that's important. It's just this insight, the awareness, and the book, The Narcissist You Know, Defending Yourself Against Extreme Narcissists in an all-about-me age, is out. We, of course, can pick it up at any of our favorite book sources, correct? You can. It should be widely available and also available you know, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Hopefully, you can get it anywhere you can get a book in the States. Great. And also for additional information and the work that you do, you have a website that we can refer to, correct? I do. It's afterpsychotherapy.com. I've been blogging there for about four years now, writing about experiences in my practice and other kind of social commentary. So lots of important information, ways that we can learn and grow. And I am just so thankful that you've spent this time with us this morning, Dr. Burgo. I trust it's really been important for all of us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be able to talk so in-depth about my book.